0: Today we begin our series titled Growing Up in Christ. This nine-part series will walk us through the fruits of the Spirit. It's all about us going deeper with Christ and letting His character shine through. Join us today as Pastor Rex starts the series off with part one, an empowered church. Jesus Christ is the hope for the world. And the world's best chance for meeting Him is through an empowered church, living in step with the Spirit. Welcome everyone. Hey, you look like you've got barbecues on your mind or, you know, having a good time, kind of chilling out with your family tomorrow and this weekend. And I hope, I hope that's the case. I hope you have a wonderful 4th of July weekend. Today we do kick off a brand new series and uh, I am absolutely convinced that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Now, if I were to throw that out as a question for you and get responses, certainly every Jesus follower would agree with that statement, right? That Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. But let me try another statement out on you because I think the response to this would be a little different. The world's best chance of meeting Jesus is through the church. Ooh, now there's where we'd get some pushback and some vigorous dialogue on that one. Because we instinctively know that the church doesn't always represent Jesus as well as we should. In fact, some of you might even say, I'll tell you what, about the last place a lot of people are going to really meet Jesus is in the local church. It's kind of like that billboard that was on the interstate out in Oklahoma that a church put out there. It was meant to be advertising, but the billboard sign read, don't let worry kill you, let the church help. (laughs) Well, kind of how you take that, right? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Gypsy Smith was an Irish evangelist, and he had a famous statement that I just love. Gypsy Smith said there are five Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Christian. And most people will never read the first four. The truth of the matter is, if you've stepped up and declared yourself to be a follower of Jesus Christ, people are reading you like a book. Paul even said that his life and ours become like these epistles, he said. They're like letters that people read with a message from God. And the question for us today is, what kind of message are people getting as they read the letter of our lives? As they look at us and encounter us, are we really representing Jesus well? You see, the goal of this church, its purpose, its mission, is to make more and better disciples. That's what it's all about. Not just to get people in the kingdom of God. That's a huge part of it. But then to help everyone who comes in to actually grow to full maturity. Folks, I want to tell you, that is what we are about in this church. We want our life to be our ministry. As I like to put it, I want us to represent Jesus Christ so well that people would think more of Jesus because of their acquaintance with us. And so that's where we're going in this new series, Growing Up in Christ. But today, as we kick it off, I want to kind of set some groundwork for it. And we're going to build on this every single week in the series. I'm so excited about it. I hope you'll make as many of these as you possibly can. And if you absolutely can't be here, look online, listen to the message. I believe God is going to grow us up through this series. But to launch it today, I want you to look at Galatians chapter 5 in your Bible. We're doing things a little differently. We're not projecting the verses on the screens today. Probably be back to that in the coming weeks. But today, as you can see, the look is a little different. So I want our experience to be a little different today. Galatians 5, Paul says some amazing things here, starting in verse 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, in those three pithy verses, the apostle lays out, three different operating systems for life. And two of these systems he gives, you will see not only in the church, people who attend church, but you'll also see them out there in the wider world. Three systems. And here's my question as we begin to unpack them. I want you to ask yourself all the way through, which one of these systems do I live according to most of the time, okay? So let's get started. I'm going to put some words and phrases up here on these boards. You have a note sheet on the back of your bulletin or somewhere in there. And I invite you, if it's helpful for you in learning, I invite you to write some of these things down. The first one is called the law. Now, the primary metaphor for this could be a rowboat. Now, here's what we know about a rowboat. If you're going to get anywhere in the rowboat... It's going to be because of your effort, right? You're putting the energy, the grunt work, the grit, the effort behind it, right? That's the rowboat. And many people are into rowboat spirituality. Here's what it looks like. Your attitude is, i got to go to church because it's the right thing to do. It's like a rule or something. God wants me to do it. I don't want to do it. My heart's not in it, but i got to do it. i got to read my Bible. Oh, i got to pray. Oh, i got to go to this small group. Yeah, I'm supposed to give some of my money away because God wants me to be a generous person. Boy, I don't feel good about any of this. I'm not doing it with a joyful heart, but I'm doing it because it's a rule, and people are into the rowboat mentality are all about keeping the rules. Now, You could describe all of this in one word, and that word would be the word legalism. That's the key word. Have you ever seen this? Legalistic people are people who have their set of rules, their set of do's and don'ts, their set of ought to's, and not only they, but they expect everybody else around them, no matter who they are, to keep those rules. The focus if you're in the rowboat, is to justify myself. That's what I'm trying to do. Because even though I may have have heard about a gospel of grace, I'm really living under the law. I'm really believing that if it's to be, it's up to me. I'm really believing that the burden is on me to really make myself acceptable to God through my efforts. The foundation, of course is works, it's all about what I can do and what I can earn, it's all about works, and here's the outcome. The outcome of living in the rowboat and operating according to the law is either exhaustion or pride. Let me explain that. When you row long enough and you try to tow the line and keep the rules and do all these things, you end up Exhausted. Because the list is never ending and you never feel like you're measuring up. So you're working hard every day trying to make this quota to be acceptable to God and justify yourself. But you end up just feeling exhausted. And religion is exhaustion for a lot of people in the world. But the interesting flip side of that is pride. Here's how pride works. When you've been rowing for a while, you begin to compare yourself to other people around you. And you think boy, I'm more faithful in attendance than that person is. Ooh, I know that I read my Bible more than she does. You know, I've learned quite a few scriptures. I've memorized some scripture more than most people. You know what? I believe that I'm a better person. I'm a better rower than most people. And so you get this sort of perverse pride about that because you start thinking, wow, I am pretty good at this. So the outcome is either exhaustion or pride. Now, folks, don't know if you're aware of it or not, but there are a lot of people in churches all over this country that live in the rowboat. Trust me on this. Church to them, Christianity to them is all about law. It's all about keeping a bunch of rules. It's all about towing the line and trying to make sure that everybody else does. These people are not very fun to be around, I want to tell you. They come across prickly. They come across stern and unhappy. And I want to tell you, if people in the church are living according to rowboat theology, Jesus Christ is not being winsomely represented. And that's what makes a lot of people say about the last place people are ever going to meet Jesus, who's the hope of the world, the last place they're going to meet him is in the church. And that could honestly be said if people are living according to the law, according to the robo. But there's another way of living that is different in so many ways. We're calling it the flesh, Now, in your text, Galatians 5, it might have had the phrase sinful nature. It's the same thing, same word. The Greek word sarx, which literally means flesh, the theological meaning behind it there, Paul is talking about our fallen human nature. So sinful nature is a good dynamic equivalent. It's a good translation. But some of your translations may have the word flesh. So that's the one we're going to use today. I think a good analogy or a good metaphor for life in the flesh is not the rowboat, but it would be more like maybe a cruise ship, right? Now, Debbie and I have never been on a cruise. We may someday go on a cruise, but boy, we have a lot of friends and family and acquaintances who've been on cruises. Some of them have been on many, many, many cruises. It's their favorite way to vacation, to be honest, I'd like to see a quick show of hands. Hold your hand up high and proud if you've been on at least one cruise ship in your life. Woo, that's a lot of people, 379. That's, that is impressive. Now, now you tell me, I, I understand that life on the cruise ship is the good life, right? I mean, I had one guy tell me I gained 15 pounds in a week living on the cruise ship. There is non-stop food options, food all day long, 24-7. Hey, how about this? Chocolate buffet at midnight. Is that cool or what? Woo! Incredible. And you know, the, the cool thing about living on the cruise ship is those carbs don't even count because you're on the cruise ship. I mean, it is nonstop pleasure, relaxation, all these things to do unending entertainment and amusement, things to occupy your time. And hey, if you don't want to go to any of the entertainment or hang out by the pool, you can nap or go to the spa. It's all about you. That's what life on the cruise ship is meant to be. So you could describe it not as legalism, but life on the cruise ship should be de- could be described as license. There's all this... Uh, license to do kind of whatever you want to do. And instead of justifying yourself, the focus here is to gratify myself. Instead of the foundation being works, the foundation of this one is pleasure. It's all about bringing into my life whatever is going to be pleasurable, uh, hopefully satisfying, makes me feel good, and so on. But but here's the shocker. Some of you are going to be shocked by this. The outcome is very interesting. When you live on the cruise ship long enough, here's what it leads to, frustration or destruction. You say, how could a life like that be frustrating? Let me explain it. What you begin to discover is what Solomon discovered in the Old Testament. If you want an autobiography that testifies to this, read the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, where Solomon said, I'm not going to deny myself any pleasure in life. Anything I want, I'm going to indulge. And he discovered that it left him empty and frustrated. He said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. There's no meaning in this life when it comes to the cruise ship living. If it's all about gratifying me, it ends up simply being frustrating or destructive. People who live according to this life for long enough find out that it eventually turns around and begins to bite you, and these very habits you've been engaging in become destructive to your very life. you know anybody who lives there? Now, again, I will say... Both of these systems you can see out in the world and actually people who attend the church. And you might be surprised to learn that this particular mentality of living according to the flesh in the cruise ship has actually in the last few decades begun to creep into the church. It's been called a consumer mentality. People bring cruise ship thinking into the church many times and it's kind of me church Uh, contrary to what Christ wants us to do which which is to think about others and how we can serve others and how we can love them and make their lives better and how we can serve the poor and how we can help people in need and how we can help our brother be closer to God and so on it all becomes about me So if I don't like the look on the platform, if I don't like the music, if I don't like the sermon, if I don't look like the way that usher looked at me or talked to me, if I don't like the products in the cafe, if I don't like the way the parking attendant said hello, then I feel free to complain and gripe all I want to. Now, I've never met anybody like this, mind you. I'm just talking hypothetically right now, of course. Purely hypothetical. Hypothetical. But believe it or not, there are people that actually bring a cruise ship mentality into the local church and think it's all about me, okay? Now, I think you can see how if professing Christians are living according to either of these operating systems, we got a problem, And you could honestly say the church is about the last place that people would really meet Jesus Christ. Because there's nothing in that that's going to be attractive to an unbeliever. They're not even representing Jesus well. But thankfully, there is a third option. And that's what Paul calls life in the spirit in Galatians 5. Life in the spirit. Now... If life under law is rowboat, if life according to the flesh is cruise ship, we could say that life in the Spirit is more like a sailboat, you might say. A sailboat. Now, I think that's a pretty apt description. Because here's the thing, if you've ever sailed and it's a true sailboat, you know that you aren't going anywhere unless you have Something. What is that one thing you got to have? Wind, right? Wind. And isn't it kind of cool? I love the analogy, the metaphor, because in the Bible, both in Hebrew and Greek, both in Old Testament and in New Testament, the same word for spirit is the word for wind. Isn't that cool? In the Old Testament Hebrew, ruah. In the New Testament Greek, pneuma. Both mean spirit, and both mean wind. Now, another reason I love this analogy is because true sailors tell me that people think sailing means you don't work. That means there's nothing to do. You just kind of sit there, and, and everything just happens. Nothing could be further from the truth. You have to do quite a bit of work to hoist your sails make sure they're in good condition, don't have holes in them, are in the right place in order to catch the wind just right if you're going to have maximum results. And so life in the Spirit is very interesting. You can talk to somebody who does a beautiful job living in the Spirit. And by the way, I respect so much those women and men in our church who live that way. They truly, every day, walk in step with the Spirit. And some of them have been doing it for decades. And if you were to ask them, hey, tell me your tricks. I want to know. I love the way you live. I see for you. It looks so effortless, this life for God. Boy, me, I'm striving. I'm, I'm failing all the time. I'm feeling horrible. I look at you, wow, it looks like a breeze. It looks so easy. Tell me your tricks. They'd probably look at you and go, Tricks? What do you mean tricks? (laughs) You should have seen me 30 years ago. You should have seen me 10 years ago. I was so different. God's been changing me from the inside out. Oh, let me tell you what I've done. I've spent hundreds of hours in his word in a positive spiritual discipline, spending time with God. I have spent so much time praying, and every day I spend time praying to God, asking him to recalibrate my life. I have been in small group after small group. I've spent years in groups where other believers have been like holy sandpaper, where God's used them in my life to sand off the rough edges. You would not believe how differently I think and talk today than I did just a few years ago, because God keeps growing me up, so tricks, Whew. it's been a lot of cooperation with God to learn how to live in the sailboat. But you know what? God's the one doing it. All I'm doing is cooperating. And so, even though I'm doing a good deal of stuff to catch the wind of the Spirit, it's not like over here in the rowboat where I'm doing it thinking I'm justifying myself before God. Very different mentality between the two, Okay. So, the word here is not legalism, and it's certainly not license. The word you could use to describe this is the word liberty. Freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Liberty in Christ. Does that shock some of you? If you've lived in the rowboat all your life, that's shocking. In fact, that even seems wrong. No, no, no. It's about keeping rules. That's what Christianity is about. When are we going to wake up to that? No. The Bible says it's about freedom. Galatians 5.1. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't get back under the law again, Paul says. Or how about Jesus in John 8, 31 and 32? If you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Life in the Spirit is about freedom. It's awesome. It's liberating. It's unbelievable. Not freedom to do anything you want to do. No, 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 no. But freedom to be everything he designed you to be. He becomes the wind beneath your wings. He becomes the power that catches your sail every day as you hoist that sail up and say, Lord, take me where you want me to go today. That's the kind of life we're talking about. And instead of justifying yourself or gratifying yourself, the emphasis here is on crucifying ourselves. We realize that God has called us to die to the old person and all of the old person's desires as we lived in the flesh, and he's called us to crucify ourselves and come alive in him. And the foundation of this, of course, is faith, and the outcome of this is glorious transformation. As you've often heard me say it, God begins to change us from the inside out. Now, here's my question to you. Which one of these operating systems do you live according to most of the time? If we're going to change, if we're going to cooperate with God's transforming grace, we need to ask ourselves some tough and honest questions and give some honest answers. Which one do you live in? You say, well, pastor, uh, to be honest, I've got one foot in the rowboat and one foot in the sailboat. Or you may say, I've got one foot in the cruise ship and one foot in the sailboat. It all depends on which day you're talking about. But I want us all to understand that if unbelievers in this world encounter professing Christians, professing Christians who are living on the cruise ship or in the rowboat, they are not going to get an accurate understanding of who Jesus is and what Christianity is all about. That's why it is so critical that a huge percentage of us so grow up in Christ that every day we're living in the sailboat. We're hoisting our sails and saying, Lord, I want you to fill me today with your Spirit. Let your wind guide my life today. That's life in the Spirit. And that's a life that represents Jesus well. Which way do you tend to live? That's what we're going to be unpacking in this entire series. And I'm so excited about it. But right now, I'm going to ask my assistants to help me here. And we're going to flip these boards around. And I want to spend just a few minutes as we move toward our close today, kind of describing how different these systems are in daily life. Because the Bible was not written to fill our heads with theories or even knowledge. The Bible was written to change Our lives. And so I want you to see how dramatically different life in the spirit is from life in the other two operating systems. Now right here, you have a list of nine words. These are character qualities that God wants to build in us. And if you want a good barometer, if you want a good test of how well you're living in the Spirit at any given moment, here's all you have to do. Try this sometime. Crack open Galatians 5 in your Bible, verses 22 and 23, where it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Crack that open and ask yourself, are these being evidenced in my life right now? Are they? Ask yourself that. Or are some of these other words really the story? So let's walk through it. I'm going to do this very quickly. I know this is a lot of words to throw at you. But again, if you want to write these down on your note sheet, the, the good thing about that is you'll be able to go back this week and look at them and actually ask yourself some of these tough questions. So let's tackle the first one, love love. Love is this incredible motivation we have toward other people where we want not only God's best for them, we want them to flourish in life the way God designed them. We really will the best for them. We don't just want it, we will it. So, if we have anything to do with it, we're going to do what is best for that person. That's what true love does. Now, let's suppose That you're living in an apartment complex, and a couple moves in next to you, and they are not Christians, they don't profess any allegiance to Jesus Christ at all, and they're not married, they're living together. Now, if you're living according to love, here's your attitude toward them. They make no profession to be Christians, so God has told you you're not to judge people outside the church. If you don't believe that, read 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, leave people outside the church to God. God will judge them. That's not your business, Christian. So, you don't judge them. You don't look down your nose at them. You love them just as they are. And you pray that God will allow you to so winsomely represent Jesus that, that will they will actually be drawn to Jesus because of their acquaintance with you. You may say, well, God, apparently you've allowed this to happen for us to be neighbors so that you could use me somehow in their lives. And so you literally see that as an open door of opportunity. And so you're friendly, you have conversations, you may even have them over for dinner, all that kind of thing. And you're looking, if it seems appropriate, to build a relationship with them. Looking to represent Jesus well. But what happens if you're living in the rowboat under law? You look down your nose at them like a pious Pharisee and you judge them because they're not keeping the right rules. They're not keeping the rules like you do. Bad, nasty, evil people. And you judge them. And what happens if you're living in the cruise ship? You use them. The way you treat people is, look, I don't even care about you unless I can get something out of you. You mean nothing to me. I don't love you. You mean nothing to me unless I can use you for some selfish purpose. Okay? Now, can you see how different those systems are? And again, let me say it. If you're a professing Christian and you're living here, that stinketh. (laughs) Stinketh. You're not helping the cause of Christ at all. You're driving people further away from Christ. Are we all happy? Okay? That's just the truth. What about joy? Joy is not giddiness. Joy is not pasting a smile on your face, even though if you are truly joyful, you're likely to smile quite a bit. Joy is that deep inner sense of satisfaction that God puts there that transcends circumstances. It has nothing to do with circumstances. Paul was overflowing with joy even when he was incarcerated in prison. But if you're living according to the rowboat rather than joy, you're going to have bitterness because you're always falling short of meeting the standard. You're striving. What could be more embittering than to always be falling short? And if you're living in the flesh, you're just going to be empty. And you're just hoping that someday, somehow, someone or something is going to come to fill this vacuum in my life. By the way, just a quick word to those of you who may be exploring Christ, window shopping Christianity. If you have tried a lot of things and it's left you empty inside, can I tell you why that is? It's because there's a God-shaped vacuum in you that only Jesus can fill. And if you've tried every substance and every relationship and every kind of sex and every kind of opportunity and every kind of high and it's still left you empty, let me tell you something, you are going to keep on being restless until you find your rest in almighty God. Because he's made you that way and there's a place in your life that he longs to fill for you. And we pray that you would open your life to him. What about peace? True peace is that inner contentment, that tranquility that passes understanding, that guards over your heart and mind, even in the worst of circumstances. But listen, if you're living over here, that's just stress. Because there's always more Scripture to memorize, and you got to do it. You don't want to do it. Your heart's not in it, but you got to do it. There's always more religious duties you've got to fulfill. So it's just stressful, it just stresses you out. And over here it's insecurity because there's no one really who's got your back. You know that you're really in charge of all this. It's all about you. Patience. When you really hoist your sail every day and say, God, would you let your wind catch this sail and take my life in the right direction? Do you know God gives you patience? Let's say it's 7.25 in the morning and you're driving down the North Way toward your job in Albany, and suddenly the Northway becomes a parking lot. You know what? If you're really in step with the Spirit living in the sailboat, you're going to keep it in perspective. You really will. Because you know what? You've probably already prayed earlier that morning, "God, my life is yours today. You're my Lord, my Savior. I belong to you." So Father, Would you interrupt my schedule? I've got a schedule, but would you interrupt it just as you please and do something better than my schedule would indicate? I just give my day to you. You've already prayed that. And so you immediately put this in perspective. Wow, God allowed this in my life. There's something good that can come out of this if I'm just perceptive enough to it. And so you have patience. Even though you're tempted toward frustration, you just keep it all in perspective and you're patient. You may even begin to sing. You may even begin to pray. God, I don't know if anybody got hurt up there. It looks like there's an accident. But I I ask that you would comfort and and help anyone who may be in distress up there. You might even turn the radio on and listen to some great Christian music and just start worshiping because it looks like you're gonna be here for a while. What if you're living in the rowboat? If you're living in the rowboat, you're perturbed at these people, these stupid drivers. I follow the rules. Why don't they follow the rules? If they would only be more careful, we wouldn't have to be held up like this. And you're just perturbed at people who aren't as competent as you. And over here in the flesh, you just become demanding. You immediately open up your smartphone. You look, oh, I've got a meeting. I've got a meeting at 8 o'clock. I'm probably not going to make it. How selfish these people are to infringe on my perfect day. Why don't these police get this thing cleaned up? How long is it going to take them after all? And you just demand any advantage and any privilege that you believe you're entitled to. Let me ask again. Do you see how different these are? And can you see how that if a professing Christian is living according to the law or the flesh, Jesus is getting a black eye. Jesus is not getting good marketing through your life. He is not being winsomely represented. And it's actually hurting the cause rather than helping it. If I'm not careful, I'm going to start preaching in a minute. So pray for me, okay? (laughs) Kindness. We could just go through all of these. I can hardly wait to get to some of these messages because we're going to drill down. It's going to be exciting. We're going to get really practical. Don't miss these messages. Over here, this becomes pretentiousness when you're living under the law. It's not real kindness. What it is is pretend kindness. It's pretentiousness. Here's what it looks like. When you're living under the law in the rowboat, you put a smile on your face because that's what you're supposed to do. You know that's the right thing to do. So you're a rule keeper. So you paste a smile on, you smile at people, and you say the right words, even though inside you're rolling your eyes, these stupid people. Why don't they get alive? By the way, if any of you ever visit the southern United States where I'm from, I want to give you a little lesson here in pretentiousness. And if someone smiles at you and says, bless your heart, they just told you where you could put it, okay? I just want, I just want you to know that. Just trying to do a little Southern culture teaching here, a little orientation. That is the height of pretentiousness. Smiling to your face, words sound good, but mean something totally, totally different. And over here, you're just selfish, You really don't give a rip because it's all about you. Goodness over here looks like self-righteousness over here because you're the one creating this. And you become like the Pharisees in the Old Testament. And over here, it starts looking like apathy. You're just apathetic. Faithfulness in the Spirit, oh, that's going to be a message we talk about what real faithfulness looks like in all of its dynamics. Over here, it becomes strictness. Strictness. Because after all, a rule is a rule. And so you begin to glory in how strict you are in keeping the rules. And over here, it just becomes flat out unfaithfulness. Gentleness is one of the most awesome qualities that God wants to build in us. Over here, just becomes sternness. And over here, it becomes just harshness. And finally, self-control, which is really better spirit control. Spirit control. Because he's the one who gives us the ability to have this sort of controlled, disciplined posture. Over here, it becomes self-obsessed. You obsess over your rules and how well you're keeping them. And again, in the cruise ship, it turns into self-destructiveness because it begins to turn on you and eat your life away. I ask you once more, as we begin this journey together, growing up in Christ, which one of these boats do you find yourself in most? Which operating system really drives your life? Lee Strobel is a great Christian leader and apologist for the faith. He tells about his daughter, Allison. He writes, Allison was five years old when I became a follower of Jesus. And all she had known for those five years was a dad who was profane and angry. He says, I remember I came home one night and kicked a hole in the living room wall just out of anger with life. And I'm ashamed to think of the times Allison hid in her room to get away from me. Five months after I gave my life to Jesus Christ, that little girl went to my wife and said, Mommy, I want God to do for me what he's done for daddy. Five years old. She had never studied the archaeological evidence for the Bible's reliability, she had never studied the cosmological, teleological, or ontological arguments for God's existence. All she saw was, my daddy used to be like this, and now he's like this. And if that's what Jesus does for people, sign me up. What a beautiful example of representing Jesus well. On this 4th of July weekend, folks, I want to tell you, that's what our country could use, okay? If you're a patriot like me, and boy, I am a patriot, I love this country that has allowed me so many opportunities and freedoms. I'm so grateful for that. I want it to continue to be strong. But I want to tell you something. One of the greatest things our country really needs right now is a bunch of Christians that are living like this who really get it, who are really representing Jesus well. That's what the capital district needs. That's what your neighborhood needs. That's what your friends and family probably need. So brothers and sisters, let's get ready. Let's hoist our sails and say, God, would you blow the wind of your spirit and catch this sail And would you take us and make us into the people you designed us to be? Father, that is our prayer. Take us and make us into the people you designed us to be. We're finished with living in the rowboat. Lord, we reject life in the cruise ship mentality. We want to live in the sailboat, driven and guided and empowered by your Spirit. Please enable us to represent Jesus so winsomely that people would honestly think more of our Lord Jesus because of us. This is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen and amen.